How's it going? A little, just a little time there to kind of... Wow, hold on. I'm getting a, a call. Just a second. Wait. Yeah, hold yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm in church. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I'm preaching and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to tweet about it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, hold on. I got, I, got a, I got a move. Yeah, definitely. Oh, no, that's not the right one. We've got another one here. Somewhere. Oh, yeah, I'm totally playing words with friends as well. I'm gonna, about to throw down like a 50-point word. Watch this. This is wait. Yeah, what are you doing later? Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah, I got to get my, hold on. I got to talk to, yeah, yeah. Can you hold on just a second? Let me, yeah, yeah. I think we'll probably meet at six. No, no, no. Don't, don't definitely don't come uh, then because the dog will be there and you know how the dog is. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wasn't talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Technology. So much fun. We were at a uh, Valentine's dinner my wife and I this last year, and we sat at a table, just the two of us, very romantic. We had a, a really nice table. It was great food. The best part of the probably the whole deal was the fact that somebody had given us a gift certificate to eat there, so it was actually a free meal as well. And next to us was a table, father, mother, sitting next to one another, and the, the, the 13-year-old son, the 9-year-old daughter. The entire meal, not a word was spoken. The son, DS3, playing the video game, the whole meal. The daughter, tweeting, texting, whatever she would, might have wanted to do. Dad, I think, I think had a book, actually. And the mom was sort of staring off into space and, and, you know, probably thinking about her week or thinking about how she wanted to strangle everyone at the table for having something other than real conversation to take place at the table. And it kind of is this, um, if you can imagine this statistic, 90% of... Young adults between the ages of 19 and 29 sleep with or next to their phone. Sleep with, actually in the bed with them, is the telephone. Is the telephone. Okay, good night, sweetie. Okay, we'll see you later. Okay, no, they're not talking to somebody. They're talking to their phone. It's in the bed with them or on the nightstand right next to them. And the study would, would suggest, study that just came out, the study would suggest that people feel more secure. They feel protected if their phone is close to them because you never know at 2.30 in the morning if somebody's going to call you and, you know, have something really important to tell you. Hey, did you hear there's a new Sizzler opening up down the street? Okay, that's a lie because there's not any Sizzlers opening up anymore, but um, who knows why I just talked about Sizzler, but 90%. So we live in this age, we're in the process of, uh, in this series, Christ and Culture. 
And I think uh, it would make sense for us, if we're going to do things right, to be able to talk about what does technology have to do with Christ? And what does Christ have to do with technology? What do they have to say about one another? How are we to be using this technology in a way that might please God and not disappoint Him in some ways? And so... um, I think we have to, we look at this passage of scripture. We're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 26. But in fact, we're looking at actually two places within the book of 1 Corinthians. We're looking back to chapter 6 and in a couple of verses there. And we're looking at chapter 10 and a couple of verses there. And they basically start out the same way. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything will be mastered by anything. And the other verse is everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissional, but not everything is constructive. Or not everything is building up. There, there's this idea that um, within this particular sort of uh, time, Jesus has come, been raised from the dead. Paul's preaching about this, letting people know about the idea that the law is taken care of. That the law is not what we fall anymore. So those who were Jewish, who had a particular sort of set of rules that they were used to following... There's kind of, we throw those, uh, not completely out necessarily, but there's a sense, there's, we, Paul talks a lot about freedom. There's a freedom to do all these things. And so this verse, or this um, phrase, is actually plucked out of the Corinthian culture, and he sort of gives it new meaning, as much of the early writers do. Take something old, put new meaning in it, and sort of say it again in a different way. Paul's saying this with the idea, it's saying to the Christians, look, in one case, he's talking about sexual uh, sort of things. And, and, and he's not wanting to necessarily put rules or boundaries or say you can only go this far or whatever else. It's to say everything's permissible, but not everything is necessarily. Now, some of you are going to mishear that and think I can have sex whenever I want to. Let's not hear it that way necessarily. But the idea would be one is within the context of having a sexual conversation. The other is talking about meat and whether or not we should be eating meat in front of people who are don't eat meat or whatever else. And the idea is in both of these, really, the message to us as Christians is to say, yes, we can do all of these different things, but are they a good idea? Is it beneficial for the community? Is it necessarily something that God would call us to do? We might have permission to do it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to do it. And I think this is much of the question that goes on with technology, the things that are around us. When I talk about technology today, we're going to talk, we're talking specifically about sort of um, social media and, and email and that kind of a thing. So we're talking about Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, and we're talking about texting, we're talking about mailing, uh, emailing, we're talking about these types of things that keep us sort of connected to the world. Marshall McLuhan um, who's a, a communication guy, said uh, his um, phrase that coined was, uh, the medium is the message. You've probably heard this before. The medium is the message. Now, what exactly does that mean? That, that, that might, um, if we looked at a, a passage of, uh, from the Old Testament, we talk about um, God saying uh, something particular, and, and he says it through, though, instead of just sort of stating it and sort of getting Balaam's sort of attention in a normal kind of way, God speaks through the mouth of a donkey. Yes, God spoke through a, the mouth of a donkey to proclaim, proclaim something to Balaam. Now, the medium is the message. Now, why would God speak a message to a person through a donkey? Now, there's probably something 
inherent in there. Because that message, if it was sent by somebody else, would just be another message. The fact that God got to the point where it's like so ridiculous, you're not listening to me at all. I'm going to make this message really clear to you by speaking it through one of the dumbest animals possible. And by the way, animals don't talk. I just thought you should sort of know that. But the idea that God's voice would sort of come out of there and the medium, the fact that God spoke through this animal is part of what the message is. That the message actually becomes more significant. It becomes really the message is the fact that it actually came from that particular source. And so if you want an example of the medium is the message. And so Marshall McLuhan sort of says that. And so we look at technology in the midst of that and we think that all of these different ways that we communicate do things to the message that is being proclaimed. Now, we can look at it uh, this way as well. I think um, some would say that it's, it's kind of like a hammer. A hammer is a tool in and of itself. A, ham, a hammer is not evil in and of itself. Evil hammer, you know, away from the evil hammer. No, the hammer can be taken down to Mexico and you can build a house down in Mexico. Or I can go after the service today and I can go to TJ's car and I knock out all the windows of his car. Now, one is useful in one way and one is destructive in the other. And, and it's not necessary. So the, the tool is sort of, I would say, sort of innocuous in and of itself. But the minute that we start to use that tool, we have to take precautions. Now, the, the, the hammer doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense because we don't necessarily think to ourselves before we pick up the hammer, like, okay, rule number one, uh, don't hit friend over the head with hammer. Uh, rule number two, don't hit self with hammer. You know, rule number three, don't hit children with hammer. Like, there's not a lot of, we're not really worried about how we're going to sort of, and so we just kind of use the hammer the way we're going to use it. But, but think about uh, potentially like a, um, one of the, the big, huge industrial saws that you would cut like a giant piece of wood with, right, that you'd build a table with. There are things that you're going to do to protect yourself prior to using that saw, right? You're going to put the goggles on. To protect your eyes. You, you potentially are going to put some other sort of thing to keep the, and, and you're going to put the safety glass down and, and you're going to pull that kind of carefully to make sure you don't sort of hurt anything. And, and the idea would be if it's used well, if that tool is used well, we can build ourselves a table. We can all sit around the table. We can have a nice meal. It's very beneficial to us. Used in the wrong way, I'm not paying attention and I'm, you know, talking to my friend over here, Kyle, and I foot and I just, all of a sudden my hand is gone and we haven't paid attention. And there's a sense that we need to take precautions as we are using this equipment. And for many of us, we just kind of use the media, we use the technology without necessarily thinking about there may be things, there may be precautions that we need to take as we engage in that media. And so we, um, there we go. So. Most of this time together is not necessarily going to be focused on how technology is good. I think we can sort of agree generally that technology has done some great things in the church. I can tell you that on Tuesday night, 8.15 in this room, the foundry takes place. And that is actually live web streamed to the web. And so you can watch a sermon sort of live from home. And you would think, that's great. You know, if I don't feel like dealing with the 405, sit home with a glass of Cabernet and I can just enjoy the sermon from there. What a great way to be able to enjoy crazy Keenan on, you know, at church. But one particular week, if you can sort of, you know, somebody in Northern California is interested in seeing somebody on stage who's doing the announcements, actually. They're not interested in the message or really anything else. They want to see the person who's going to make the announcements. Because actually his, it's his girlfriend's cousin 
that's watching in Northern California. So she is just watching basically to see her boyfriend, see what he's doing, see what he does at the Foundry High. It's kind of funny when he makes announcements and stuff. But somehow there, she tunes in. She sticks around. She watches the rest of the message. And for some reason on that particular week, the message hit her in a way that you cannot explain. And she called later and talked to her cousin, and she is sobbing, crying, and saying, God touched me in a significant kind of way. And since then, she has gone back to church. She is pursuing a life with Christ. I mean, praise God. So we can talk down and down, over and over and over again, how technology can be helpful. A, a guy named John Acoff, who um, writes a blog called Stuff Christians Like. Fantastic stuff. Unless you're easily offended, then don't look at it. But... Um, <clears throat> He raised $30,000 in about 18 hours to build a school in Vietnam via Twitter. Pretty awesome sort of stuff. Friends from high school that um, I went to high school with. 20-year reunion. Oh, yeah, I saw you do that, that sermon thing you do at the church. I said, really? And they said, yeah, I was on Facebook. You know, I had nothing else. I might as well just watch some sermon, you know. And it, you're, you're kind of funny. Thank you. You can, my wife and I at the, you know, reunions are awkward enough, but imagine that now you're a preacher. Oh, that's so nice for you. That's, that's nice that you do that thing at the church. But in a weird way, we posted on Facebook and I'm thinking, why are we posting on Facebook? Because people somehow they watched it. Um. We have to realize that if we're going to exist in the real world, we're not going to live as a hermit, that the technology is there. And so if we're going to say that it's there and it's being used, I think we have to talk on the side of what are the precautions we need to take. And so we look at the consequences or potential consequences of some of these tools. And so pay attention because these are um, we're going to go quick and, you know, I talk fast. So if you fall asleep, you're going to miss like six of them. So um, <clears throat> God's pretty clear to say. Be still and know that I am God. We had silence earlier in the service. Early in the service, and some of you hated it. Some of you checked email. Some of you texted someone to figure out what's going on later this evening. Some of you are so uncomfortable with that. And, and what's happened is that we've been so we're so oversensitized with all the media that's around us. Checking our Facebook status, texting somebody, email, everything's sort of. There's no sense that we're going we're gonna to be quiet. That we're going to listen to what God has to say to us as his children. So we're, we're not very quiet when we have all these things going on. I think one of the more interesting things that I've sort of stumbled on in the midst of looking at all this is this concept of narcissism. Narcissism defined in one place as self-love. An exceptional interest in and admiration for yourself. Self-love that shuts out everyone else. The study was done uh, starting in 1986, about 40, 40 questions that sort of gave you a sense of like how narcissistic actually somebody was. And they did a study of like 2,500 people. Um, and they've done that study now. And, and they will tell you that over that time, the level of narcissism just around the culture, across the board, has been raised by quite a bit. And you doesn't the study doesn't necessarily say why that's taking place, but to think that th that isn't a direct result of some of these media it would be crazy to think. Think about it. The more ridiculous of a YouTube video that you put up, the more likely people are going to watch it. 
the more that it's focused on you, the more that you can get people's attention by being something just completely outlandish is what brings you the number of hits, which gets you the reality TV show that makes the rest of us just want to puke. And yet we all watch it some another because their ratings are pretty good. And so in, 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 if you think about Facebook and Twitter and hear me as I preach this word, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all these things. This message is just as much for me as it is for you. <clears throat> so if you think it's like, he's a self-righteous, you know, I'm preaching to me. I'm, I'm in the crowd with you. I'm participating. I've taken the Kool-Aid just like you have. So we're all sort of on the same page. <clears throat> Twitter is about how clever of a thing can I say about myself in 140 characters or less. Facebook updates. You don't just say, eating breakfast. You would be like... Hmm, how many people are going to read that one? What's going to be the best response for that? You know, I'm eating breakfast in this location and Clint Eastwood just walked by. Even though it's not true, we're just going to make it up because we're going to have more people to comment afterwards. And then we're going to have comments back and then comments here and comments there. It's going to be amazing. Self-focused. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Narcissism leads to more violence. It leads to more infidelity. It leads to these things. And so if we say, and we're going to be careful how we say this because the research doesn't necessarily make these correlations, but YouTube... Twitter, Facebook equals narcissism. Narcissism equals all of these ugly, awful sorts of things. We have people who have no idea how to relate to one another because they're so self-focused. They have no idea how to interact with you because what they've done is they've manipulated what you're going to see about them. Now, we do that in everyday life. We do it all the time. I don't walk up to my friends and say, you know, I'm, uh, hi, how are you doing? Struggling with lust, you know, and you're like, <laughs> awkward. You know, okay, I'm cheating on my wife. Great. My wife's here. I'm not cheating on my wife. I, I, I don't struggle with lust, you know, all those kinds of... But the idea would be sort of, we even in the midst of having a normal conversation, we don't necessarily present all of who we are. We control sort of... But there's a sense of, you would get to see you in different circumstances. We get to hear Twitter, Facebook. We can kind of manipulate. We can kind of, we can show off the things that are, you know... Um, just got a big deal on this, you know, just got a raise, just, we, we, we can shape the way people see us and perceive us. And it becomes this kind of incestuous, strange, bizarre sorts of thing where the person doesn't necessarily know who they are and they don't know how to be around others anymore because, oh, you actually know me. Um, that's kind of scary. Okay. J just read my tweets and you'll find out how I'm doing. You know, I don't really know how to talk to you. So narcissism. The media makes us reactive rather than proactive. Rather than saying, what I'm going to spend my morning doing is I'm going to pray for an hour. And then for the second hour of my day, I'm going to, you know, participate in this activity. What, what do we do? Well, oh, somebody's texting me. Hold on just a second. You know, I got it. Yeah, it's great that your, your mother's dying and stuff. But here, let me just check this really quick. You know, this is a really important email. You know, and oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we're, we're reactive to this. We allow this to set our schedule. This sets our schedule rather than us 
using our own abilities, God-given abilities and discernment to allow us to sort of program this in a way that we can sort of, but we end up being way too reactive to it. This is a really important phone call. No, it's not. Really? Is it really that important? Is life or death? Is that what's on, on stake here? I don't, I don't think so. You, you've done this in email. Some of you are like, you know, none of this really pertains to me because I really don't use a lot of technology. Yes, you do. <laughs> you have a phone. You have email. You've done this before, right? Angry email comes through. Somebody at work has said something, or somebody, you know, has got something critical to say about you. What's the immediate thing? Up yours. Send. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, maybe I should. We end up being reactive. The media makes us reactive. Rather than saying, write the nasty email back to the person and then delete the whole thing. And then walk away and pray. And maybe you call them or maybe you go talk to them rather than putting, you can't read their tone. You don't know if they're like, their, their tone in the email is like, or it's just like, by the way, I just wanted to, you know, we, we can't read intonation in, in the midst of the email. Not yet anyways. In the future, we may be able to do that. And maybe that'll be good or bad. I don't, I don't really know. But we end up being reactive. Here, here's the thought. You, you don't like the sermon tonight? Then come tell me that, that you didn't like the sermon tonight. Rather than writing a nasty email after the fact and not signing it. Huh? How's that for an idea? Because I can tell you that it's a whole lot more, t- more productive to make me a better preacher. If you come talk to me, we can interact about it. Rather than just railing and making all sorts of assumptions about who I am. And if you have something positive to say, then put it in writing. Because what a great way to have that memorialized in somebody's inbox when they have all the crappy emails. They can go over to your email and say, at least I got one nice one. Right? So some of you just need to learn that you shouldn't use email at all. (laughs) Because everything you write is evil. So be nice. Amen. Okay. Uh, Some of us, uh, we realize that we have a shorter attention span. What? We have a shorter attention span. What? We have a shorter attention span. Everything is 140 characters. If it doesn't fit in 140 characters, I really want to hear about it. The, the guy who wrote this article, Shane Hips, is kind of the person I've, I've taken some of this information from. He's written a book called Flickering Pixels, How Technology Affects Faith. And he's written an article in Relevant Magazine, if you get a chance to, to um, pull it up online and, and read it. Really good stuff. But he, the beginning of the article basically says 90% of the people who are starting reading this article will not finish the article. The article's not 19 pages long. It's like four pages long. 90% look at Sports Illustrated, look at Time Magazine, look at all these different magazines. What are they doing more and more? The beginning of the magazine, they're about 16, 17 pages of just two paragraph stories. Because we don't have the attention span to be able to get through the whole thing. Life can be too simplistic. We put God in a box. We think if we can just capture the essence of Jesus in a tweet, then people will just come to the Lord. Watch how I masterfully put this tweet together. Ding! One brought to salvation, two brought, three, if I get six people right there, I just, I just have to be better at tweeting and, and people will come to the Lord. Not so much. We, we've kind of made this thing too simplistic and we have to realize that the life of faith lived with Jesus is complicated. And it's something to be interacted over and it's something to be chewed on and it's something that we live with constantly. And if we try to use media to do all these different things, we, we can fall short in the midst of trying to capture the full essence of what's happening in the midst of that. So we've become maybe a little bit too simplistic. We've tried to put God in the box. We miss out on the reality that's happening right in front of us. Right? It's a checkout stand at the grocery store, right? You've got your earpiece in. Uh-huh. You're talking like this. 
This woman, you, you don't know it, but the woman behind the, the stand um, has had an awful bit of information come to her in the last hour. She's in the midst of almost crying. And what are you doing? Uh-huh. Yeah, totally will go to that movie with you tonight. Uh-huh. You need a what? You need a credit card? Oh, credit card, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, totally. What do you need? What do you want? I'm on the phone. Can't you see I'm on the phone? And you're like... Uh, yeah, you're at Ralph's. Um, you're just buying stuff, just trying to help you out here. You know, no big deal. And, and, and the opportunity, take it out of your ear, put it away. Maybe you catch a glimpse of the person. You realize, you look like you're having a tough time. Would you, would you want me to pray for you? Uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. We miss out on the reality that God has right in front of us. Some of you parents... When you get home from work, what you need to do, and I'm talking to myself when I say this, is you need to take your phone out of your pocket and you need to put it away. Your kids should never see your cell phones. Because I've had it happen once and it convicted me. That, Dad, can you stop playing with that and talk to me for a second, please? Oh, yeah. Just mm, right between the eyes. You're an idiot. You're a moron. You're probably going to go to hell. I mean, that's really what... But there's grace, so I'm okay. But... There's a sense that some of you need to hear. That's, all the, that's the only message you need to hear. Take your stinking cell phone, turn it off for the three hours that you're home with your kids. When they go to bed, then spend all night on the darn thing. Play with your words with friends with 45 different people. Check out your Facebook statuses of all the important people in your life, your 900 friends who you never ever see. Put it away. It's not really that important. Work is there tomorrow morning. Leave it there. Don't do it anymore. You miss out on the reality that's happening in front of you because you're so, I'm so obsessed with this little thing going on here. The media opens and reopens relationships that should never be reopened. You want to talk about infidelity? Let's talk about infidelity. Let's talk about the 20 years ago I had a high school sweetheart who I adored, who found somebody else. I'm not telling a real story about me. I'm just saying in general, this is happening. And she, bloop. She wants to be my friend. Let's check out her page and see what's going on. Gosh, she looks good. No, she doesn't. It's a fake picture. No one actually looks like their pictures. Let's be honest, okay? You don't really look that good. You photoshopped it or some of you use like fat booth and make yourself look bigger and then it's funny. Ha ha. But you, it, it, whatever. Two of you got that joke. Thank you very much. Fat booth. Great app. Okay, never mind. Um, but here, here's what happens. Oh, she, she wants to befriend me. Good. I'll, I'll, well, what's going on? How, you know, how, what's, you know, da, 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 da. well, I just got divorced. I've got three kids. And, you know, this, man, wow, she's available again. She wants to see me. What's going on here? Things here aren't going very well because she has throw up all over and baby poop and stuff, you know. So that's not looking really good. But this is really intriguing. And your heartbeat starts to go a little faster. And you're, yeah, this is a relationship that was never meant to be reopened. And you know what you can do? No. I'm not going to accept that friend request. I'm not going to be involved in a relationship with that person. That's the past. This is now. You have control of those boundaries. You do. We make choices every day to include those or not include those people. This is not a time to be thinking about grace. This is not a time to think how to be true to the person you've got in a covenant relationship with marriage. That's more important than showing grace to somebody through a friend request on Facebook. No one's going to even remember it. They don't even, they don't even get a message back saying, person totally denied you. It doesn't happen. That message doesn't go back. They forget about you. It was a fleeting thought anyways. They're not attracted to you, so get over it. <laughs> we live in a false sense of community. We have all these friends, and yet when the 
proverbial stuff hits the fan, there's no one there. I have a false sense of community. It is great if I'm able to put something out there to say, we're hurting, we need you know, prayers. And for somebody to, to tweet back or to Facebook back or email a message or text message, hey, we're praying for you. That's powerful stuff for sure. But I can tell you it's far more powerful when you show up to somebody's door with a warm meal and you spend an hour or two and you lay hands on and pray for and anoint with oil and ask for God to enter into the life of this person. This is the way Jesus did ministry. We don't get to see that necessarily in ministry. That most of what, what the, the power of Jesus, I think, was the fact that he was tactile and he was eye to eye and he was moving in people's lives, not because of something clever that he said off the cuff, but because he was the incarnation. We don't have a sense that we have to wait on the Lord. There's the sense that everything is reaction. Everything is as quick as we can get a microwave burrito under our mouth. I mean, that's how quick life sort of goes. And so we ask, we said, uh, you, somebody tells you, well, you should probably wait on that. Ask the Lord for direction on that. It's like, well, I've waited three and a half minutes. Haven't heard back from him yet on my text. So I'm just going to kind of move on with that decision because, you know, God, you know, should get together and talk to me on text messages or, you know, whatever. We need to wait upon the Lord for many a thing. It becomes an idol. Parental warning. It can stunt healthy growth in children. I don't think the research is out there yet, but I'm telling you, we don't know the effects of how... We're still looking at a child and we're saying their ego is still developing. They're still developing emotionally, everything else. And what's happening? We're kind of putting these things in front of them. We don't know what the effects of these things are. You need to be unbelievably careful as a parent as what your kid has in front of you. And if you don't take responsibility for it, knowing that, well, everybody else has it, well, you don't get one. Sorry. That's being a parent. Hello. Know about it. It's tough. But we got to be parents. Because if we don't, the long-term effects of what is taking place in the midst of this social media stuff is going to be devastating. These people will not be able to communicate or function in a community at all because they've lived their whole life doing this. Very strong thumbs, but that's about it. We need to make ourselves available to God. We need to make ourselves available to God. Anecdotes for the technology. We need wisdom. And we need to pray about how these things influence our lives. We need to ask God for wisdom in the midst of using just the everyday things. Because we think we're dealing with a hammer, but we're really dealing with a giant saw. And it's going to do some damage if we're not careful. We need to be quiet in order to hear more clearly. We've gotten to this place of everybody goes to sleep with some sort of noise machine, right? You've got, to, you've got to have a fan going. If I don't have a fan going, you can't go to sleep. You know, they've got to have that noise. They've got to have that thing. For some of you, it's I've got to have my cell phone next to me. I've got to have these things. It's like we need to get rid of some of those things and realize we have to get back to the essence. We have to get back in order to be quiet, in order to hear from Him. We need to be intentional about the use of this media and how we, we consume it and how it consumes us. The word is intentional. This is the way that God asks us to walk with him intentionally. It's not a, yeah, whatever, God, you just do whatever. It's the idea that everything might be taken captive for him. Some of, us need to, we, some of us need to just fast from some of these things and realize they really don't have that much impact in your life. If you really don't know the, the Facebook status of your 923 friends, are you going to die? Some of you are like, yeah, no, really, you're not. Oxygen is what you need. The Lord is what you need. It is not to know what everybody else is doing. 
We need to constantly and consistently reevaluate what God is doing in the midst of these different media. And yes, Sabbath is necessary. One of the Ten Commandments, take a Sabbath. The idea on a Sabbath is not that you can get caught up on email or texts or whatever else. It might be that you put all that stuff away and you might just enjoy the sun in the afternoon. While you take a nap with your dog next to you. Whatever that Sabbath sort of looks like. What's the conclusion? We have to remember that the medium is the message. The message of God comes through the person of Jesus. And yes, the things that Jesus says and the things that are written in Scripture are important. But almost more important than that is the medium by which God communicates that message. It is the person of Jesus. And the medium at that point is just as important, if not more important. It is the message. The message is that this person of Jesus came in the flesh here, declared things, was killed, was resurrected, and went back up to be with the Father and left His Spirit with us in order that we might live more like Him. That we might be shaped and molded more into the image of who Jesus is. If we understand that that medium is the message, and we understand that we are the bride of Christ, then our responsibility as the bride of Christ is that we might be shaped and transformed by Him, and then the, the, the message of Christ comes to us. See, God could have decided to sort of, you know, send the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man to declare that Jesus is Lord. He didn't. He could have, like, had, you know, 14-foot Jesuses walking around saying, let me tell you about myself and how I died on the cross. He didn't. His choice was to choose you and me. Jacked up, messed up, falling short, sinful people in order to proclaim the goodness and the glory of who God is. We are the medium that God chose. And so we are the message. So what you do and how you behave is just as much a message of what you say. What you communicate. And so, when you communicate to somebody that they're not important because you're more focused on this than you are on them as a person, then we've missed an opportunity to be Jesus. To be His representative, to be His ambassador, to be His bride in the midst of that. And we've missed our God-given ability to be human and to share the good news from person to person, eyeball to eyeball. And we have to realize that the media messes with that message. Yes, can the media help us spread the news, do great things? Of course. Is it the end all to be all? Of course not. It still boils down to you making a choice to follow after him and be with people in intimate moments of their lives. It means you being intentional about your schedule to clear that off so you can have dinner with somebody that you don't really know. So that you might pray for them. You might help them change a tire, whatever it may be rather than being focused on all these media sorts of things. The medium is the message. And folks, you're the medium, you're the message. Pay attention, because you have a finite amount of time in order to get that message across. Now's the time to begin to figure out, how am I going to represent this Jesus in the midst of all the situations that I'm in? And how am I going to put this media stuff aside so that I can be more focused on the goal and the role that God has called me to. Let's pray. God, we, uh, I thank you that in the midst of silence, in the midst of quiet, you come. In the midst of difficult situations, you come. In the midst of all those things, in the midst of media, you come. But 
God, we, we're a culture that gets easily distracted. We've, we, we realize that there are some great tools around us. God, we don't know the ramifications of having those tools around us. Give us wisdom. Give us quiet. Give us discernment. Give us the ability to be disciplined enough to put those things away so that we might be little Christs to represent you in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.